0: When I became a pastor i didn 't ought to be a pastor and uh, so I had the advantage of kind of learning on the job without any interference. Uh, my denomination just let me go and didn 't um, mess with me and uh, and I realized pretty soon that a lot of what I was seeing around me and what I grew up with and what I was seeing around me um, it didn't seem to me like it was being a pastor. It was running a business, trying to find uh, consumer, religious consumers, and uh, this just had no attraction to me. And I, so I started reading the scriptures more carefully, and um, I think I just accumulated um, much of this the identity of pastor that I r- arrived at, uh, and didn't happen quickly. It, I think I was, no, maybe seven or eight years uh, ordained before I realized what I was... It became clear enough that I was saying yes and no and uh, living into what I was learning. So it was... I guess I realized two things. Number one, being a pastor is totally relational. There's no way to be... Um, Programmatic or depersonalized or hurried uh, I wanted to be present to people so that they knew that they were being listened to I was listening to them and then I, at that about at the same time it was, these things kind of went together I realized what the Trinity was and uh, I grew up hearing sermons on the Trinity which were all metaphysics, philosophy, definitions, um, heresy hunting, um, and the what I realized as I was paying attention is uh, the Trinity is really just a, an emphatic statement that God is relational. He's always relational. He's three-person relational, three times emphatic. And so if God is personal, the only way I can respond to God is personally, not by an idea, not by a cause, not by a strategy, not by a vision. It's got to be personal. So I uh, I think out of that I, I developed a life of prayer, which was uh, more than list-making and had to do with who I was, who God is. That's a
1: start. <laughs> I was born
0: a competitor. <clears throat> I loved competition. And uh <clears throat> I think I was a competitor while I was still in diapers. And um <clears throat> so athletics are very important to me and uh I like to win and um and studies were important to me. I wasn't as competitive in my studies, I in fact I I really never went to good schools and so I wasn't interested so much in the classroom, but I loved learning and um, was avaricious to learn everything. And, um, and so I was usually president of my class and my student body, and I just, I was used to winning, I used to being looked up to. And then I became a new church developer, and, um, and that was just perfect for me. I mean, this was this was a goal, and we had to do things, and we gathered a congregation and um, raised money for this building, and uh, many of the people in my congregation were either new Christians or what John Wesley used to call half Christians, <laughs> and um, but they didn't have much church background, many of them, and so um, it was you know it was great you can motivate people explain the faith to them and enlist them in this wonderful business of building a new church and um and we got it done after it took about 3 years before we had our building completed and um <clears throat> and then people started um not showing up i mean they didn't quit i go visit them i said something wrong no no pastor you know you're still my pastor. This is still my church. Um, but who would have thought a bunch of nobodies like us could have done that? Thank you for getting me in on this. But don't expect me there every Sunday. You know, it's... Fishing season's open. My wife likes to paint watercolor flowers. And, and uh, in about six months after we built and started worshiping this lovely new church, after that catacomb's church we were in before uh, in our basement um, I'd say the attendance of the church uh, diminished by at least a third and that's when I went to my supervisor and said what do I do and he said start a new building program I said we just had a building program uh, he says no I've, yeah, believe me I'm experienced in this business and that's the only way That's Americans only understand a project so you've got to give him a goal. So I left his, uh, his office. He didn't have a study. He had an office. <laughs> okay. and he, or he did office work. And, um, and I knew I wasn't going to do, do that, but I didn't know what to do. <clears throat> so I didn't do anything. Um, I just thought, I've got to find out how to be a pastor now without, without adrenaline. We just we just gotten into our new church, new new building. You know, it was kind of a triumph, um, and uh, that was the result of a lot of adrenaline, <laughs> not as much prayer as adrenaline. And um, and Karen was three years old at the time, four three years old, and uh, is after supper she said, Daddy, can you read me a story? And I said, Karen, I'm sorry, but I've got a meeting. And she said, you've had a meeting for the last 33 nights. Mm-hmm. And the meeting was the session meeting, my session. So I walked to the church a quarter of a mile away. And uh, as I walked there, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm already a failed parent. Um, I don't want to be a failed pastor, too, but I don't know what to do. So I told them, it was a stewardship meeting, and it was very important. (laughs) And I just said, told them Karen's story, and I said, I don't, I've tried to slow down, I've tried to quit, I've tried to reorganize my life, and I just can't do it. This is just addictive. And so, this is my resignation, I'm leaving. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just can't. I know I can't do this and so one of the elders said, well what do you want to do? I said, well I want to pray I want to listen to you, I want to study and know what's going on and I want to lead you in worship and, uh, and they said one of them said, well why don't you do it? That's what you started out doing, why would you quit?
2: Can I go back over those things one more time, what you said you wanted to do, because I think I want pastors to really hear that, because that is really the core of our conversation today. Could you repeat that one more time? I do mean to interrupt you. But.
0: I want to pray. I want to study Scripture and the world around me. I want to be with you, be able to have time to visit with you in your homes or wherever, and I want to lead you in worship. That's all I want to do. And one of them said, well, why don't you do it? That's what you started out doing. I said, because I've got to run this damn church. (laughs) And one woman said, why don't you let us run the damn church? And you do that. I said, because you don't know how. And she said, well, it doesn't look like you know how either. So why don't we try? when I left the meeting that night uh, they had taken over running the church what I call running the church and I, they said you don't come to any meetings now except the session meeting and the deacons meeting just once a month for each of those and um, we'll do everything else and if we need your help we'll call you up and ask you to come for 20 minutes in, as we meet and you can We'll get your take on what's going on, and then, but we'll do it. And uh, so I left. And two weeks later, um, there was a stewardship meeting, and uh, I didn't have anything to do. And Karen didn't ask me to read a book. And so I walked up to the church and walked into the meeting, um, and uh, kind of sat on the edge. Uh, they were in a circle. And um, I was there for maybe five minutes and one of them said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I didn't have anything to do this evening and I just thought I'd just be here to encourage you. And he said, you don't trust us, do you? Mm -hmm. And that kind of took me back. I said, "I, I guess I don't, but I'll try. And I left and I never came back. And I don't think there were more than four or five times in the next 25 years. We had two major building programs during that time. Uh, that I went to a, went to a meeting. You know, it changed. It it gave me um, a biblical structure for a new identity as a pastor not performance not task-oriented not manipulative not trying to find out how to motivate people to do things just worship and be with them um, it just um, it just kind of chills me when I hear pastors say um, I don't call on people. I don't visit the hospitals. That's my deacon's job, my elder's job. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. Um, How can they do that? Um, This is where we are. The congregation is our workplace. When When I began this congregation, I had two things in mind, I think, pretty clear. I wanted to preach the gospel and be as clear as I could about developing a life of worship where they could know themselves as the people of God. And I wanted to de- develop community. Well, I thought community would be easy and the preaching would be, you know, the, the task that I'd have to really spend time at. Well, it turned out just the opposite. Uh, Preaching, teaching was easy, uh, but um, the community just didn't happen for quite a long time. The person I was referring to is George Arthur Buttrick, who was the pastor of Madison Avenue Church, which was was at that time the leading preaching pastor of uh, a church in the Presbyterian denomination and uh he would um on sunday nights there were there were ten interns at Madison Avenue five from new york seminary and five from union seminary the liberal seminary the conservative seminary and he had a sunday night service <clears throat> and after service um, he would invite all the interns to his his um, a manse. It was a penthouse apartment on Fifth Avenue. Um, how would you like to have a manse like that? You're right. <laughs> and he'd um, and I wasn't a Presbyterian yet. This is my introduction to Presbyterianism. Uh, and um, he'd take off his shoes, put on a pair of slippers, light his pipe. Sit on the floor and we just talk. We'd ask questions, he'd ramble, and it was just maybe an hour or so on Sunday nights of just getting acquainted and entering into a pastor's life. And, um, and he said this more than once, or he said it in different ways that every Tuesday and every Thursday he walks through the neighborhood. This is um, the Upper East Side of New York. And um, and just talk to people, but and this, this was not his. This was not the heart of his congregation. The heart of his congregation was living in um, little better parts of the city. And he talked to the people on the street, visit the people that were members of his congregation. And he said, if if I didn't do that, I there's no way I could preach. I've got to know the people who are out there and what they're doing. So um, that stuck with me. I uh, I never I never thought of that. I never forgot about that. But as I was, I, was, I spent a lot of time in people's homes, hospitals. Uh, call them up. Can I come and see you? Uh, whether they were having problems or not, just be with them. I think by the time I was by the time I was ordained I think I had a pretty well developed life of prayer <clears throat> scripture prayer the two things really go together for me. I, I can't uh, imagine one without the other. And um, and then I found myself trying to teach people how to pray. I had a congregation and uh, that's when I started realizing how difficult it was to shift focus on me to God and to start listening instead of talking and um, I um, and I started um, translating psalms for my for, just for individuals in my congregation uh, and and um, Telling them, you know, you think prayer is being nice before God, don't you? Well, yeah. Well, it's not. (laughs) It's being honest before God. And here's a psalm that David prayed. And I've translated it into what sounds to me like American. And I type this up for them and give it to them. And say, just take this home and pray this uh, and listen. Um, So that's really... That's really how the message started. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I thought I was going to be a teacher of Hebrew and Greek uh, before I uh, became a pastor. So I knew those languages pretty well, and uh, they were kind of just compost within me as I developed as a pastor. So <clears throat> early on, I, I realized that teaching people how to pray was maybe one of the most important things I did as a pastor, Uh, not preaching good sermons, but teaching them how to listen. Psalm 3. Psalm 3. In tradition, the Psalm, uh, the Absalom Psalm, and uh, there's in the middle of the Psalm, there's, as he's going through all the stuff, um, Break the teeth in their mouths, and I'd say to somebody, "You hear that? You can you can cuss if you want to when you pray." I mean, that's that's the closest thing David ever came to cussing, but it sounds pretty good to me.
2: But it was honest. It it's honest. honest. You gotta
0: you take the stuff of your life and bring it out there and and say it to God, not say it to your wife or your spouse or uh, your friends or just.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about, um, Pastor Eugene, one of the
2: large group of people that are watching this right now are, are men and young men and women, many of them under 40 years old, who have been given the task by their senior pastor to lead the congregation on the weekends in song and in worship. And there's a constant tension, at least at New Life on how to how to really lead people, because the songs, the psalms and the songs, for two thousand years, if not longer, have been the core of our musical expression, the singing of the psalms the worship of the psalms um, have been a part of our worship. but it seems like in the last fifty years it's turned into a band and a performance and lights and uh, a stage when that, uh, it, can you can you speak to that how how if you were looking into the eyes right now of a young man or a young woman? Who had tremendous musical ability? Who had a call in their life to lead people in the prayerful psalms, of songs? How would you, how would you coach them? What would you say to them today about leading the congregation into worship? What does that mean?
0: How oh, Brady, I think you're asking a question that um, I've never had to deal with. Um, I was, I was given a congregation which uh, didn't have any expectations uh, and any of those kinds of expectations. Um, And so, when people would come to me and ask for that, I'd just say, Well, you know, worship is not entertainment. Uh, When you come to worship in the congregation, I want you to be able to be quiet, be reflective, uh, look around and see people and pray for them while you're looking at the backs of their heads um, and uh, and sing some songs you don't know. Uh, there's a you know vast repertoire of, of songs which um, the church has prayed sung for centuries and. I'd like you to know some of those. Uh, singing is a way of praying; it's not a way of just getting a good, good feeling. But I don't know how I'd do that. I most of the time, when I my conversations about worship were in one-on-one, I'd if somebody would say something to me, I'd say, "Can I come and talk to you this week?" And, I think this deserves more of a conversation than a, just a statement from me. So I think I was, I think most of my training, if you call it that, on, on helping people to understand what worship was, was pastoral. It wasn't from the pulpit. It wasn't giving a lecture. Um, See, one of the, it seems to me one of the geniuses um, or the genius aspect of being a pastor is knowing people locally, relationally. And if people trust you, uh, you can do a lot just by being with them, listening to them. And if a culture has to change, it's got to be done incrementally.
2: One of the things that I think you had as a strength in the Presbyterian world is that the sacrament of the Eucharist was the center of your worship. It was the the it was not an add-on to the sermon. It was the sermon. Right. Um, and it seems like, in, at least in our world, the evangelical, non-denominational, charismatic, whatever box you want to put us in, our world seems to have drifted away from the very center of worship that held the church together for 2,000 years. I know even at New Life we're in the discussion, and well, we've already made the decision, we're making a communion the center of our worship every Sunday now. When I came there, we were doing it four times a year, once a quarter. And we've come to that, we've come back to the place of communion. Can you, can, to, to the pastors that are watching who are from other traditions like I am, Pente- you grew up Pentecostal, and uh, and you grew up in a tradition probably where communion was not the center of worship, right? Although there was a table maybe down front with, you know, do this and remember me, carved into a wooden. Right. But we never did it. Every we did it once a month or once every two months. Remember or, me quarterly. You remember me <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> could you could you could you draw us back into the mystery of the Eucharist? What does that mean for a, a modern, thriving, growing, young? unlearned congregation what what are we missing about not making the eucharist the center of our worship
0: you're missing mystery this is this is um and you're missing a focal practice did you know did you know that you we've, we've talked about focal practice and um uh, borgman at albert borgman um very important i think for pastors he talks about, he's talking about the technology of the world right now, that we're losing our focus, focal practice, there's no rootage, there's no grounding in anything, it's the internet, it's all over the place. And um, he's a Christian, um, but he doesn't write, he's a subversive Christian. (laughs) And he says that the the primary focal practice of the human race is the meal. Focus is the Greek word for hearth. So you build a fire to cook your food, to warm yourself, and the, and the meal now becomes the way in which it brings your whole life into some kind of a focus. And the primary meal is the Eucharist. This is where it all started. Uh, so I think what you're doing uh, is um, is uh, really it can make a whole huge difference, um, and it's you know it's easy to do with a you can do it in a large congregation. Um, just have stations, uh, have them have the uh, sacraments served by intinction, and you can have you know a line of fifty people. Um, and do it in the same amount of time it would take more traditional ways of doing it. Um, But I think it needs to also to be uh, done there's got to be some interpretation given. Maybe not a whole lot. But it's surprising Mm -hmm. how um, how quickly people this, this becomes important
1: to
2: them. Well, but you, you've said this, you've used this word four or five times, uh, adrenaline. Is, is, a gener- is adrenaline the competitive, in, and I'm competitive, I grew up playing sports, Daniel played sports in high school and college, I played sports, uh, very competitive. Um, what, have we substituted adrenaline for something that's spiritual? Yeah. And what, what's the substitute? What's happening? Because uh, I've confessed to a lot of my friends that there are several pastors that I have stopped following on Twitter and Facebook because of the hype. Yeah. The constant hype that comes from them. It seems to be a journal motivate I'm sure they're prayerful men and women. I'm sure they're godly. I don't I don't assume anything different. But it seems like the hype has somehow replaced the Holy Spirit in a lot of cases. Yeah. Do you see that as well?
0: Oh, my, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and these are, the, of course, the ones who <clears throat> um, most often leave the ministry after. There's a certain point at which you can't, you can't, cannot sustain that. Uh, no, I think so. So, you know, those of us who do, um, who are susceptible to the high achievement kind of life, um, we've got to find another way. You can't just stop it. You know, I. Running was a way for me to do it, and writing. Uh, But, you know, there are other
1: ways to do this.
0: Uh, Pastors need to read poetry and novels. Um, I, I talk sometimes about developing a a pastoral imagination, or sometimes I use the name Trinitarian imagination. But we need an imagination which is comprehensive, which includes everything, and pays attention to detail. And the novelists and the poets are the ones who, seems to me, we ought to ordain them, um, because they're the ones who have the task of creating an imagination which sees that everything is related, um, just not what you see, and what you do, but what you imagine. And, you know, most of what, most of the world, most of existence, most of reality, you can't see. Um, you know, we, we can see the stuff in this room, but you can't see the atoms, uh, uh, you can't see the DNA, and you can't see love, you can't see hope, but these are just as real as the shoes on your feet. And um, especially now that we're so inundated with technology, and you can, we can do so many things without thinking. Mornings I spent in my study. Um, I never went to the church. I never went to my church study until about eleven, eleven thirty, And uh I did have a staff, by the way. I had 10 secretaries. <laughs> Remember my secretaries? Yes. <laughs> volunteers. Well, they're all volunteers. <laughs> and I'd go up at 11, and return phone calls. Just check on what's going on. And then... Uh, uh, and then I'd, on Tuesday mornings, I would prepare for this um, pastors' company of pastors, and uh, read the scriptures, study them. By this time, I was proficient in Greek and Hebrew, so that was that was kind of a gift that um, I brought into the. Not knowing I was going to be a pastor, I brought that in, and that was very helpful. And then the. Uh, the two hours an hour and a half two hours we spend is in the company of pastors this was whether i was using the lectionary or not uh, about a half the time i did and half the time i didn't but still the conversation developing a homiletical imagination how these guys were doing it and there were a couple of women too uh, so that was a probably a place where the sermon started to catalyze and then on and Wednesday, Wednesday morning was totally given to administration. I had to go to the church early and uh, deal with whatever it has to be done administratively. <clears throat> Thursday, I stayed in my study and uh, wrote my sermon. And uh, so.
2: And would you write out a manuscript or I did. Outline? It was a manuscript. No,
0: I did a manuscript. Okay. I didn't use it, okay. but I wrote it. Okay. And I sometimes I would have an outline, very sketchy outline. I preferred not to use a manuscript at all. But if I was uncertain of myself, I'd leave the manuscript in my drawer. And um, and then Friday and Saturday. Uh, Friday I was, <clears throat> I was usually designated as a hospital day but I had five hospitals to go to so it really took me all day long to do that. Saturday I didn't do anything. I um, mowed the lawn, kicked the dog, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a, you know, just a catch up day around the house and red.
2: you would not consider that your Sabbath?
0: Oh, no.
1: And Monday was your Sabbath? Monday was the Sabbath, yeah. Okay. Well, I think Sabbath
0: has got to be... um, Number one, it's commanded.
2: It's not a suggestion.
0: It's not a suggestion. It's commanded. And it's probably the most... I haven't counted, but I think it's probably the most repeated commandment in the Bible. And... uh, it's easy to keep the Sabbath um, wrongly. Do you realize that Jesus broke the Sabbath laws more frequently than anything else? And um, we have to learn how to keep a Sabbath the way Jesus kept the Sabbath which is with intention not to keep a rule but to enter into a Sabbath a Sabbath rest um so we've got to understand the nature of Sabbath which is paying attention to God's work he worked seven days, he worked six days rested the seventh and um and then that seventh day, three times, the word Sabbath is used. And, uh, you know, if, if you're looking for some way to understand how important this is, uh, and just Genesis 1 will do it for you if you just pay attention. But it takes place in the context of a week of work. And we've had a week of work and I pick a day, any day, and that Sabbath now becomes a way of understanding your week of work as God's work, not my work. And, you know, work is very energizing. And it's, a, you know, you accomplish something. You can look over the week and you say, wow, I made seven hospital calls, made three home visits, uh, chaired this meeting and went to this meeting, um, it's all me. It's very difficult to shift your imagination to God and what's God doing in all this. So we've got to, this is why the imagination is so important to get this straight. I think what gives me hope is all the letters I get from pastors, and I get a ton of letters, who are, um, who are living such godly, faithful lives in difficult circumstances. I get very little whining, complaining, uh, and um, I think at the grassroots, um, there's just a lot of health. You know, we've we've got. Well, you guys, for instance, this is this would have been unheard of me of to me um, 15 years ago that I'd be sitting with you talking as equals, as peers. Um, the number of people who who say to me, and some of them are just coming coming to call up and say, can I come and see you? Um, say um, things like, I thought I was the only one. And I just, it's so good to know that there's just at least two of us. <laughs> That's, that happens a lot. Now, I think the thing that disturbs me is the um, corruption at the top. The... Um, consumer world of religion, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's, it comes close to describing the Church of Christ in America. I think we're, I think there's a lot going on that's good, positive, yeah.
1: So would you, would you just pray over us?
2: And I mean, we, we need your prayers and um, I'm, 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 I just thought of this in a room. We have Abraham Isaac generation
1: yeah.
2: Jacob generation sitting here yeah. and um, Abraham Isaac Jacob generation we need the voice of Abraham more than ever and I know you would never say that about yourself but <laughs> we look up to you as someone who's way far ahead of in the journey and I Would just we would just cover your prayers today just to that we finish the race as well as you're finishing it and uh, we You're handing over the baton to us. Okay. And uh, and we want to receive it well and hand it off well. So would you pray for us as we... I will.
0: Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for this wonderful world you've given us that you've loved. We want to learn how to love it the way you love it. Help us to understand what we're doing. Not let other people determine what we're going to do. Give us an agenda. We want to see each one of these souls in our congregations as a holy life, a life of miracle, of mystery. And we want to be your people, your men and women, We take care of ourselves in such a way that we have the energy and the clarity, the focus to be bringers of the gospel, of light, not to condemn the world, but to enter into a reconciling life of prayer and relationship and witness. Lord we care about pastors I sometimes think that pastors are the most misunderstood and undervalued parts of our society I'm not asking that that change but that you help us who are pastors to not accept that kind of dismissal to keep reaffirming ourselves as your servants your ministers your witnesses I commit the pastors who are listening, hearing to your care brothers and sisters in the company of those who have been following you for these 2000 plus years bless them anoint them energize them
1: Amen